listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? Do this stuff. I'm Josh. And I'm Joe. And today on the show, we have a very interesting and compelling story from our guest, Chris Tedeschi. Mm-hmm. I met Chris in New York City several years ago. We were studying acting together. I always call him Mr. T. Yeah. And then, uh, so he has his work experience as as a producer. Uh-huh. And he was working at a pharma company for a while. And Making now he's, videos. He's getting ready to take that next step, that next chapter in his journey. He quit that job. He's got a new, exciting job. So that's always an interesting season to be in. I love talking to people who are in that phase, as well as he has a really interesting story of how he met his wife Mm. and they went through some really tough stuff together and um let's just say this they were on cnn talking about how they met and their their wedding and their marriage so it's a pretty impressive and and inspiring popular story to have a kind of story where something like that happens to you and it gets turned into something ultimately that is good yeah that's it that's a that's not easy to do it's It's not easy to walk through And so Chris kind of talks a little bit about his journey on today's episode. Yes. Don't miss this stuff. Subscribe today. Well, we did meet in an acting studio, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. The late. Those are. So who, I know you're an actor. You were an actor. Yeah. Yeah. We both went to the same acting school. Uh, Although you had gone to NC. North Carolina School of the Arts, right? Yeah, I came in with baggage. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, um, but I, I guess we'd moved to New York City roughly around the same time when we both enrolled in the Esper Studios acting training. That's oh, right. Okay. Um, so you guys met up in New York? We did. We did. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think, like, I don't think from a believer standpoint, I don't, I don't even think we knew that about each other. Did we? What are you talking about? Believing in what? Uh, being a Christian. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think we knew anything about that. I don't think so. Yeah. But it's interesting how we kind of gelled even not knowing that yep. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I was like, hey, dude, what are you doing on Sunday morning? Uh, I'm going to church. What are you doing? Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. It's like the secret fraternity. Uh, yeah. It is a little bit, you know, and and New York City is a little peculiar in that standpoint. And, and Well, it's wild. I mean, yeah. you got hardcore this, hardcore that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, this is interesting. Different from the South, at least where I came from. But you yeah. have a foot in the South and a foot in the North, right? I, I do, but I, I'm an Italian. So naturally I'm, I'm Catholic. So that's how I grew up, you know, anyway. And, and I mean, we had priests in the family, you know, we would have communion, Holy communion. They would, they would do the whole ceremony at like house get togethers when we would do it, as long as the priests were there. Like there was a, Hmm. a lot of that growing up. Um, it wasn't until I was in New York city though. And I kind of became more like agnostic that, that I started actually it was Tim Keller who kind of listening to him kind of was like, huh, kind of opened my mind up a little bit to, hmm. to new things. Yeah. 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 So on the show today, we have Chris Tedeschi. We've kind of been jumping in here. Chris and uh, <laughs> and Josh have been friends for a while before, and we're really excited to have you on today's podcast. Thanks Thank for you. coming to the basement. I totally appreciate uh, it. Great Disregarding place. my dogs. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm really excited. I got a, I got a bunch of questions for you. Sure. I got to talk to you a little bit yesterday on the phone. Mm-hmm. And um, if you could just tell us a little bit about 
I'd like to start here if it's okay with you. You said your last job, you're working at a pharma ad agency. Can you just tell yeah. us a little bit about that? Yep. So um, basically I'd come on um, as a producer a few years ago and mm-hmm. and just kind of worked my way up. And, and uh, the, the ad agency... Uh, is it an in-house ad agency? It, for the it is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of rare. Usually, you know, they hire out and, and have, you know, selection of production, you know, companies that they might go to, to, yeah. to create their media. Um, but in this case, it was more advantageous and cost effective to actually have us all in-house. Plus we also worked with real people as opposed to actors for a lot of these. So these were kind of more documentary style uh, media pieces for okay. pharma companies. So like interviews and you got it, you got it. And, and it was also, it was, it was better for me, like in just terms of like my soul, like knowing like I'm hearing real people's stories. And a lot of these people had, you know, terminal illnesses, um, very sick stuff along those lines. So kind of hearing how, um, you know, they deal with what they've got, you know, how right. they're, you know, those type of things. It was just it was it was great to hear those real stories and connect with yeah. those people. That's crazy. I had a, I had a similar experience. I worked at an in-house agency for a large church in the area and, um, which was a ton of fun. I'm just curious from, and you, you started to become the team lead eventually. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) I wonder like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, (laughs) it's funny, you know? So, so I guess unofficially I was, I was kind of like, I became, I got promoted to the point where I was more or less second in the department. All the producers were under me. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the, um, growth, um, in terms of people's skill sets, yeah. um, was kind of guided by me, um, making sure projects were hitting the timelines were, were oversaw, overseen, overseen, sure. overseen by give me. It to you. It's a podcast. Yeah. Nobody spell checks. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, um, ultimately I wound up having, I guess about nine, 10 people under me and, and our producers wind up traveling all over the world. Um, we're gone about two weeks out of every month, hmm. um, doing these shoots. So it was, it was hectic. But like, you know, I'm staying here in Raleigh. I, I, because of our travels, I, I paid for my room with Marriott points, you know? So it was like, um, you know, there were, there were perks to it as well, yeah. even though it was daunting, especially with having a family. And how long did you do that? A couple of years? Yeah. About three, okay. about three. Yeah. So I'm really curious, what did you learn about managing creatives? Hmm. Mm. Uh, it's more of a guidance and, and I've discovered that a lot of the people like autonomy um, as well as inspiration. Um, it's, it's been fascinating because every, every producer that I'd managed was different. Um, some had tons more experience than I did from a, from a, an actual production perspective. I think, um, a lot of the reasons I was put in that role was more because of my leadership and management abilities. And so, um, you know, from that standpoint, we had guys who like how I would talk to to the one gentleman who had all that experience was much, 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 much different than how I would talk to somebody who's who's got a lot of energy, who's starting to hit their prime, needs to tweak things, dealing with some yeah. personal issues, stuff like that. Um, and and so, you know, everybody was different in regards to how we we engaged them, yeah. you know, to help them grow. I think it's I, similar stuff, like yeah. no one shoe fits all kind of solution for how to, to effectively lead creatives. Yep. So you are, are you in this phase of your life? Have you read Bob Buford's halftime? Have no, you, I are you familiar with this book? Mm-hmm. There's a book out that's basically the premise is that there's a point in a professional's career when they have to look in the mirror and say, all right, I've done a lot to gain success or make money or build up a reputation or a book mm-hmm. of business or provide for my family, etc. And then there's a transition 
to moving from that to significance. Like mm. I just want to do something that makes a difference now. Mm. Um, and I don't think that they have to be so dichotomous, like making money certainly is not meaningless and not making a difference. It's just stage of life. I think in my mind, it's totally. kind of like I've been planning for my midlife crisis. It hasn't quite hit yet. And then, <laughs> and then this thing is coming where I'm like, what am I doing? I yeah. got I to gotta do something significant. Yeah. Um, so you quit yeah. your job. Yep. What was what was kind of the catalyst to that and what's next for you? Um, well, for for me, it was it it all all has to do with God and just feeling like, uh, you know, all throughout this time, um, at least when we were doing behind camera work acting, it wasn't necessarily the case. But since going behind camera, it's always been a, a, a question of, all right, you know, God, how do you want me to to kind of use my skill set? You know, you, you've you've either put this on my heart or it's been developed through you and it's grown with your guidance. So ultimately knowing that I want to work towards his glorification, how do I go ahead and use that? And so that's, that's been a question for like, like eight, eight, nine, 10 years now. Hmm. And always it's, it's, it's always been kind of like, you know, where, whatever, where the church that you're at, help them, help them in whatever capacity you can help them, you know, keep focused on your career, raise your family, stuff like that. Um, but it was, I mean, there was no big catalyst. It wasn't like, oh, you know, this career is just too stressful or, you know, or I feel satisfied in it. I'm ready to move on. Like nothing like that happened. I just happened to get on the phone um, with some people at the place we're going to be going to. Mm -hmm. And we were just talking and there was just something that kind of was like sparked in me. And, and I was like, huh, I was like, is this something like what, what's going on? And then uh, my wife and I prayed about it. And then we were like, I think we're jumping into this. And so that, that is a big jump, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's big, it's stressful, it's stretching though. Like it's, it's, um, you want me to kind of elaborate on that a bit. It's yeah. just, you know, my, my wife and I are going to do, uh, missions work at a media center in Spain and, um, we're going to be essentially reaching people within Spain with the gospel as well as some other countries around that. And, um, just the logistics alone is is daunting. Yeah, you guys totally speak Spanish, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> I know like, you know, Donde está el baño. Well, and that'll like, get you by for a while. Yeah, I mean, I figure, I figure that'll be a helpful one. Taco burrito, they translate really <laughs> yeah. good. So They have great sang sangria there. Yeah, that's good. I'll have some paella. But it's not just you and your wife. It's also three sons. That's right. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's and, and the way we look at it, too, is it's not like my my wife and I kind of prayed about this and felt like we're going, it's, it's our entire family, yeah. you know? So, so, and, and we, we know about some of the baggage that can be, um, had when you have missionary kids who've grown up, you know, and, and just kind of not feeling like there's a place at home that they can call home really, um, because they may have moved around to different areas or, you know, the, just the feeling of being pulled out of where you currently are to, to, to go somewhere else. Um, so we've been very conscious of, yeah. of, uh, you know, kind of walking them through what's going on. And at least the, the two older boys, we have a, a seven, a five and a three year old. Um, the oldest Joshua, he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm on board. This is great. He's like, we get to tell people about Jesus. This is cool. And I was like, wait, you're excited about that? You're seven. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, good. You know, <laughs> our five-year-old's excited because he's having a birthday over there. That's, that's his grid. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool, man. And the three-year-old's like, hey, whatever, you know, because yeah. he doesn't really know one way or another at this point. <laughs> well, that'd be great that they get to grow up bilingual. Yeah. Awesome yeah, it will be. Yeah. Especially Spanish. Yeah. 
So um, when you were when you were acting, is there anything that you were in that we would we would recognize you from? No, probably not. I mean, I've done some small uh, like regional commercial stuff. Um, we had done a, a show. We were in yeah. a soldier's play. Yeah. Soldier Denzel Story. Washington. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He wasn't in that. No. One. He was in the movie. The, or, yeah. I think he did the stage play too. Uh, I don't know. But we were in the soldier's play. That's right. We were in that's camos, right. which is great because you served our country. That's right. And yeah. to share cams with camouflage with you was really an honor, man. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> On man. stage. And we Thanks. got to beat people up. Right? That was did we? Yeah, we did. Did you have a character we, arc? Did I you, think we played drunks, didn't we? Or you were drunk, and I, we I had a to couple hassle bags. Yeah, yeah, something. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was, was short. Was that the only play you've ever been in? <sighs> no, I think I've done some other stuff too on yeah. stage, but I don't. I mean, well, you were more a camera, yeah, on like, camera guy. Right? Yeah, Brighton Beach memoir, which is funny because I don't look like I should be on on camera guy. <laughs> but um, but I, I'd, I'd done a few others. Like I think I'd done like Brighton Beach memoir or stuff like that. It was yeah. all like off off Broadway. Stuff, you were big but, into David Mamet, right? Like, oh, I love. I still love, love David. You still Mamet. love and read yeah, David. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. you talking about that a lot. He actually put out a book on film directing too, just kind of being a, a director of yeah. of that aspect of of yeah. truth and in, in film, and, you and it's, it's really called? good. I don't, but I can, I can get it to you. I remember reading the, three, really good. three uses for the knife. Remember that one? No. Why? Yeah. Really? We wrote a book about like different ways to slice it. A, a what? Directing. Oh, I was like, <laughs> what's he <laughs> well, that's what, We're talking about directing, right? Come yeah. Yeah. <laughs> different ways. Of, I know it wasn't called that, but well, it was similar. Yeah. It was the one I'm talking about. So yeah. I kind of know a little bit about Josh's story about why the transition from in front of the camera to behind it. Oh yeah. But what was the thing in your life that made you want to switch kind of gears and be on the other side of the equation as the producer. It was a woman. It was. <laughs> well, I, 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 yeah, it was my wife. Oh, that's normal. Case yeah. closed. Yeah. Yeah. Next. Do, do, yeah. Do, do I need to explain more? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it the loving encouragement of a wife? Like, you should probably do something yeah, else. That pays money, you know? <laughs> well, you've always had a foot in business. That's something I'm not, you have a, that's true. like a Rutgers background, sort of like Boston. Yeah. Like, you have this academic side and you wear cowboy boots and ride a motorcycle. That's right. So that's, that's why we're friends. That's why we're friends yeah. still. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I'd worked for BMG Columbia House in a marketing department for a while while acting in New York. And that was kind of the day job thing that kept everything Is that else when they afloat. were doing like the stamps and you oh, could yeah. get a thousand CDs for a penny? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's exactly what it was. That's and what if you're kids... too old and you don't know that, this yeah. thing used to come yeah. in the mail on this giant packet. And yes. There was a thing like with a lickable back for some reason, uh -huh. yeah. just oh, like yeah. a stamp yeah. that had your favorite album on it. Mm -hmm. And they would sell you 25 albums yeah. for, a yeah, penny. for a penny. Yeah. And then they'd sell you like five or six for an astronomical amount. Yeah. And they'd make their money back. Yep. But that first section of like going through all those stamps <laughs> yep. and licking yep. them and sticking them, like, I'm going to be the coolest kid. Yeah. I remember like seventh, eighth grade. I'm like, Aerosmith. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no doubt. That's the one. Yeah. And, uh, Do you remember when they were cassettes or just CDs? Just CDs for oh, me. Man. Uh, I think there was an option, but I was too cool by then. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't have to talk about that either. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that in the after yeah. show. But yeah, yeah. Back I mean, to Chris. Oh, well, um, <laughs> sure. Uh, so you know, I'd, I'd worked at that as as kind of the day job, and then when I'd met my wife, which is a, another story, uh, she had lived in Boston, and so you know, she would come and visit me in New York City. I would go and visit her in Boston all through our time yeah. dating, and then when uh, when we got engaged, it was like, oh, okay, who's moving, right? So yeah. so at that point, I I'd kind of become tired of New York. It's, mm -hmm. it's an amazing city, but it's also like a concrete jungle. That's a too many people and a lot, a lot of opinions. Um, and so, 
you know, looking for a little bit of a, a more green city in terms of like places to walk, spaces to, to move around and yeah. stuff like that. Um, I decided to go move up to Boston. Now, Boston does not have much of, a, of an acting um kind of like an acting industry up there. It does have some because there's, you know, it, it, it's got some films being produced up there, but it's not that big. So it was at yeah. that point I started becoming a little more family minded and I was like, all right, let's see, let's try to figure out a way that I can take some elements of like my business background and still keep in that creative circle that I love so much. And that's like part of me that I don't want to let go of and, and mash them together. Yeah. And that's kind of where it all came from. Yeah. yeah so okay. talk to us a little bit about how you met your wife. <laughs> okay, okay. There, there's a story. So, um, my wife. I'll, I'll start off by talking about my stepmother. My, uh, my father and my stepmother had gotten married probably when I was about, um, I think it was eighteen. And my stepmother's first husband had died on a plane that blew up over Lockerbie, Scotland. It was bombed by by Libyan terrorists, and it's uh, it's called Pan Am Flight 103. That was back in 1988. And so my wife also lost her dad on that flight. And so we had, our families had known each other since 1988. And in 2008, there was a memorial service. It was the 20th anniversary memorial service in national, in Arlington National Cemetery. And um, I had gone and um, I just met her. I just met her there. I knew her mom before I knew her. And we just started talking and everything just kind of was like, this is amazing. And I was like, she's awesome. You know, and, I, and, and it just, you know, we started talking on Facebook of all places and <laughs> well, that's um, where everybody meets. It's I, not weird. Yeah. So, and, and then, uh, and then it, she was like one of these people that you like to, to not make it too cheesy, but like, she was the person that like, when, when I met her, I was like, I'm pretty sure this is it. And like, it was that soon, like it, right away. It was. And, and I don't necessarily buy into that whole thing, but that's, that's how it felt. That was like the feeling that came across. And, and at that point I didn't even know her really that well, you know, but I was like, I'm pretty sure this is it. Mm. And, and for all I know, that could have been like my biological clock going, be like, <laughs> it's time to get married. You know, I, I don't know. But, but, um, as we kind of grew closer together, um, and got to know each other more, it was like, it was just confirmation. Yeah. There's a lot of confirmation. And um we had gotten engaged about a about a year and a few months later and then uh got married like four months after we got engaged. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah. So you guys got picked up by a lot of media coverage during this time, right? Yeah, we did. Um so we had gotten married in August of two thousand and ten. And, and hey, kudos to the media for finding an uplifting, nice story. Yeah. Something great coming out of a tragedy. It, yeah. it is. Um, I bet it wasn't super fun for you guys to be hounded by CNN and Fox. And, no, it was awkward. Um, it was awkward, but it was it was awesome because in, in a lot of cases, um, you know, we got to everybody was interested in the story because um, a year earlier, they had just released um, one of the convicted bombers um, from uh jail on on a basis of compassionate grounds and so they had come to the family saying hey he's been released a year earlier he's still alive he was supposed to pass away because he had terminal cancer and he hadn't and so they're like how do you feel about him being released and 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 him being still alive and everybody's like hey we're not really focused on that right now actually two people who are involved in this tragedy are getting married and so the media picked up on that story and um 
and you know when CNN and and Fox and BBC and all these places had called um, us to to kind of get some information on this love story, quote unquote. Um, yeah. You know, uh, we got to go on and and just be like, hey, this is this is God's redemption of of uh, a just horrible tragedy. And so it was it was kind of amazing to be able to speak to that. And and a lot of the the a lot of the broadcasts that we had done were live, so we got to really you know not have to worry about it them kind of removing any parts of our story. We got to just answer the questions plainly. Um, they also put us on the front page of Yahoo, which was, <laughs> I was working at a company at that point and, and, you know, cube farms. And, you know, the person who was in the cube next to me pops her head up and she's like, you're on the front page of Yahoo. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and, yeah. And I'm like, Yahoo! what? And, <laughs> and that just spread like wildfire through the office and the rest i was just embarrassed for the entire day and then as i was saying yesterday like one thing to never do if you're ever on the front page of yahoo is to look at the comments about yourself or about the article oh god yeah it's the worst thing ever um it was just embarrassing but the photography was really nice jen jen sosa had done our engagement photo and that's oh, what put up, got put up on the front page yeah, yeah it was nice cool. yeah probably not a lot of couples have in their wedding album like interviews with Fox and CNN and no, did you like capture screenshots and put that up? I don't, I don't know. You guys should put that so. in your little scrapbook. Your profile right. pic. Yeah. I'll take, I'll take a note. That's good. I think, I think he screenshotted the front page of Yahoo though. And, and we, Printed you know, it. yeah, I think, well, I kept the, I kept did, the image. Did you file. up-res it? No, probably not. Oh, bummer. You what was your, what was your favorite interview? Oh, uh, gosh, I don't know. I think CNN actually. I yeah. remember seeing you on CNN. Yeah. Really? I think, I think I was in a bar. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to put this down. Change my ways. <laughs> Two Did sheets you, uh, to the wind and were you, saw my friend. <laughs> were you surprised by any part of the, uh, like being on the national news, any part of that process? Was any, any part of that stick out to you as strange or interesting? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. No, I thought it was interesting. What was um, behind you on the screen? Was it really a picture of a cityscape or was it a green screen? Uh, it, when we were, okay. So the, the times that the only time we were actually in studios was with CNN yeah. and, and the person who was doing the interview was actually in it. I think she was in Atlanta. And so we had come into the studio and we were doing a kind of a remote. Mm. Um, what was her live. name? Was her name Anderson Cooper? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm bringing it. It was I'm Cooper Anderson it. at the time. All right. Yeah. Get, um, bring yeah. it um, anyway, so, uh, uh, nothing stuck out to me as weird. Um, we, you know, we had actually, I think it was the, the, I think it was the Fox producer. I actually am still kind of acquaintances with, Yeah, he was really cool. He brought his, uh, he brought his crew to us, um, did a really just kind of chill, candid interview was really nice as can be. And it was just really smooth. Yeah. Um, were you in production yourself at the time? By then? Oh, gosh, was I? No, I don't think so. It was right before that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that kind of subconsciously pushed you into like, oh, that could be something fun? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No. If, if anything, I, I think I went into production to kind of continue that aspect that I love about acting, you know, and, and just being able to, to, to do that just in a, another capacity, you yeah. know, to kind of keep that going. Mm. News, I wouldn't say does it for me, especially now. It's kind of hard to listen to a lot of times and, and news production yeah. Never really. You see, Night, really Night, you guys see Night Stalker with Jake Gyllenhaal? No. You haven't no. seen that? No, I know the movie, I, but I haven't seen premise. it. Really? Yeah, it's played well. Hmm. Yeah. Check it out. Directed well. Yeah. Yeah. So earlier you were mentioning um, how kind of God redeemed the situation and 
I'm curious to hear your perspective on that because there's, it was probably, I assume, or was it difficult to forgive after having mm -hmm. so, your parents taken? Yeah. So, so and all, in such a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. And must have felt very sudden, mm -hmm. um, very nonsensical. Um, so, so since it was, it was my stepmother's first husband that passed away. I'm going to speak on behalf of my wife who lost her dad mm -hmm. um, be, because, you know, we've we've talked about this. She was five at the time. So really, oh, really, really yeah. young, you know, so she she grew up at this point most of her life without her dad. I'm I'm I don't know. She also has two siblings who are older and um, I'm not exactly sure, like how their processes worked necessarily. Um, but I think. Um, my wife's process of forgiveness had grown in tandem with her faith. So, um, like as she had grown, she had, she had seen people in need of forgiveness and she had, you know, she had the opportunity, which I, you know, other, other people would, um, have, have looked at this and, and been like, you know, Islam, Muslims, what is, what's going on? This is just horrible. This, this is a horrible, you know, a horrible deity, you know, or, or religion really to look at. And, um, my wife from her Christian perspective was, was more of, well, you know, if they're off or even the people specifically who bombed our plane, you know, they're in need of forgiveness just as much as anyone else is. And so she, she could have taken it as, as a sign of, of bitterness, but in, she wants to see justice. She wanted to see justice because something needed to be done um, from, from just that standpoint of what they did. Um, but she also, you know, she was like, if they came to know Christ, she's like, that would be amazing. She's like, that would be the ultimate forgiveness. And so like, you yeah, know, you kind of brushed over it earlier when you were talking yeah. about how they released one of the, mm -hmm. one of the terrorists and yeah. you were like, oh, we're really focused on this. But mm -hmm. how did that feel knowing that he was, did that mess with that sense of justice? Yeah, it did for her. I, I, I'd say it did for me too. Um, I'm obviously much deeper for her, but, um, you know, I, I think we've come to the conclusion that, that actually there was an oil deal in place that helped to, um, to, to for, for the reason of his release. And so there was a little bit m more of, of the, the like mix. There was like a negotiation for an oil deal that would be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and assuming, assuming that that's true, that that's, that completely changes how, how one would probably look at it. If she looked at it, she, he, he was originally least released because, um, he had terminal cancer. They gave him about six months to live. And so, um, they were like, you know, from a compassionate ground standpoint where we're going to release him back to Libya to be able to, to live out the rest of his life there. And when that didn't happen, um, and his life got extended, there were questions about like, okay, were the doctors correct? You know, what, what's actually going on here? And then there were some elements brought up about, uh, the idea that, that this partly had to do with an oil deal. So yeah. if, if that's in fact, true um that's pretty messed up so she she would not she, would, she <laughs> i'd say she didn't appreciate the fact that that happened yeah yeah well that sounds very reasonable yeah yeah, yeah. i agree well I, I hate to i hate to push on it but i'm gonna do it no, please go forgive me the uh because i think a lot of people who listen to the podcast might not share the, the faith mm -hmm. of christian ideals or beliefs and sure. the there's a lot of I feel 
when I'm talking to somebody that might not share my particular belief, I'm a Christian, might not share my particular beliefs about forgiveness, that the, there's one thing that people really confuse about what forgiveness is mm-hmm. from a Christian standpoint is that a lot of people think that forgiveness is about you. Um, it's for the other person, I guess is what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. as a, as a benevolent, better than you person, I therefore grant thee my forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Welcome into the, <laughs> the radiance of my presence kind of, yeah. I think is how people kind of put it. But sure. I think what's, what's pretty clear from the Bible and in, in, in the Christian faith is that forgiveness is about canceling a debt mm-hmm. and it's for you. It's because if you hold that, Mm -hmm. what happens with unforgiveness, it turns into bitterness and Mm -hmm. bitterness turns into things that can completely change your personality and who you are over time. And I've heard people really struggle with that before the idea of like, I know that I should forgive somebody and I don't, and it's Mm -hmm. a complicated thing and it's not simple at all. And it feels like it should be transactional. Like, like you just swipe the card and be like, all right, I got there forgiven. You're done. But then something could happen. And then the next day you like, you got to swipe the card again. It's very yeah. transactional. Um, it's almost like it starts with a decision to forgive. And then it's kind of a lot like other emotions and like love, right? Like love starts with a choice to commit. Like I'm going to commit to this person and I'm going to love them for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be moments where you're going to be like, I'm going to choose to love this person and I'm going to commit to them for the rest of my life. And it's not um, like that feeling. Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel that feeling of forgiveness that some people think exists like this? Yeah. Um, you mean for anything in, in particular? Or in, yeah. You know? I mean, in this particular instance for losing. Uh, again, I'll, 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 you know, take it back to my wife and, and, and to be honest, I'm not sure, but I, I will say that, um, back based on what you were saying before there, there was, and she has said this a number of times that she did not want to grow bitter. Um, towards an entire population of, of people yeah. um, based on the actions of, of, you know, the people who actually helped right. to bomb this plane. And so, you know, for her, I'd, I'd say that, that the act of forgiveness was also, um, also in, it based around the idea of not wanting to grow bitter towards this, you yeah. know? And so, uh, you know, yeah. So from that perspective, yeah. Cause you know, a lot of times stuff happens in our lives and it's, related to some actions or some kind of course that we put ourselves on and it can be like, ah, so you can feel a little bit of guilt about it. Like, Oh, I I probably did that because there was a set of things that led me down this path that got me here. And then there's these seemingly random having nothing to do with, um, our choices, our actions, Mm -hmm. situations that happen. And that's definitely sounds to me from my perspective, what sounds like happened to you guys and losing family members in a terrorist attack. Um, Have you found yourself being able to, or do you find that people ask you like, how did you, how did you get through that? And have you learned anything Mm -hmm. specifically that would help maybe some people that have had something happen to them that's just unfair or wrong Mm -hmm. or demands justice in that way. And, um, what, what maybe have you learned that you could yeah. pass on? I've learned that a lot of my knee jerk reactions aren't necessarily the appropriate response to things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like in what sense, like what was your knee jerk reaction? Well, to this, I mean, how old were you by the way? Well, back in 88, uh, I would have been 10, but at the time too, my father wasn't married to the woman who lost her first husband, my stepmother. Right. Uh-huh. So, so 
in in regards to my grid about it happening, it was probably a news article to me, and and that was about the extent of it. Mm-hmm. It was it was more when my father had met my stepmother. I had met her kids, and they eventually became my step siblings. Um, and then ultimately, there was a depth even greater um, of of empathy and understanding when I when I met my wife. Yeah, um, because obviously there's there's more of a of a discussion about a lot of that, that I didn't necessarily have with my stepmom and my step siblings. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a, it's a depth and a discussion that goes on and will continue to go on, you know, forever as, as we're married, you know? And, yeah. and so, you know, just from that standpoint, it, it's, it, you know, it, it became, it was started off as something that was kind of like a, a, a passing news story of, of a horrific event. Um, and then, led to a, a greater understanding of, of I'll just bring my wife alone into it, but uh, of, of how it affected her life, how it still affects her life. Like, you know, um, just like there had been a lot of healing that's gone on in her life, but a lot of the things of like, you, you know, just from a, 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 a little girl standpoint, like I don't have a dad to walk me down the aisle when I get married. Mm-hmm. I don't have a dad who's even going to be with me to, to raise me. He's not going to be able to go to, to mommy daughter, you know, um, mommy or a uh, daughter, dad, daddy daughter dances. Mom. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. And, um, and, and she's like, I, I just don't, I don't have anyone like that. And so there was a, a clinging of saying, okay, I've lost my earthly father. Let me look towards my heavenly father to, to fill those holes that, that wouldn't get filled. Like, and, and, you know, for her, her mom didn't remarry. So it wouldn't be that there was even a stepdad to maybe step into that place, you you know, and and grow with her. But, um, so, so just from that standpoint, it was, it was a a big lesson on, on healing, um, for her. All right, we interrupt this episode of the Guys Who Do Stuff for a little announcement. We wanted to talk a little about something that we both use and find to be of value in our daily workflow. Yeah, I would definitely put it in my weapons of choice category. Amen. Uh, definitely in my tool stack. I go there every day. Yeah. So it's 17 Hats, if you don't know what it is, it's a it's a customer relationship management tool, but it's also a way to invoice easily as well as build and set up processes for a, for a small business owner. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, so I'll just talk a little bit about how I use it and why I like it so much. I am able to set up a process using 17 Hats. That's a series of emails and checklists for doing what I do, which is creating websites for people. And it makes so much easier for me to not spend a lot of time doing the stuff that used to eat my time up all the time before, which is drafting an invoice, coming up with the right way to send out this email. And so I can figure it all out correctly one time, proofread it, make sure that it's great. And this will not only send out a beautiful quote, but it'll come with a, if, if you want to do this, it'll come with a contract that's pre-signed by you, as well as turn that quote once accepted into an invoice all in one email, taking what used to take two or three days to me taking three to four minutes for me to send out the quote. It's pretty amazing. Joe is what I call DA, deeply analytical. I'm more MA, moderately analytical. So I use 17 hats every day invoicing clients. So for me, that's as deep as I've gone with it. And I tell you what, I told- it's really easy. Yeah. I told Joe about it. Now he's on it. Somebody else told me about it. And and it's just a wildfire kind of awesome 
thing to. Yeah, I recommend it. Yeah. And it's not a lot of money. I think no. it was a couple hundred dollars if you pay for the yearly. Mm hmm. Yeah. And um, I think it's already paid for itself in the amount of time it saved me. It makes me look so professional. Yeah, it really does make you look professional. Yeah. So, yeah, if you haven't, if you don't have a customer relationship management tool that you're currently using, guys who do stuff, I encourage you to check out 17 Hats. 17 Hats. Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I think your situation reminds me of, so I spent some time as a pastor and one of the most challenging questions you might run into as a pastor is like, they revolve around the sovereignty of God, Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense because these are very tough questions. Things like, um, and maybe the questions are wrong. Maybe we don't really know the answers, Yeah. but the questions exist. Like, why would God let this happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are what I would call like a category of well-intentioned, but like trite kind of feedback pain that comes when like, oh, it's a, and then people say something really well-intentioned, but it's kind of either half truth or empty or hollow or not the right time to bring it up. Um, yeah. For example, I remember when, when I was doing my, my uh, grandpa's funeral, it was the first funeral I got to do as a, as a young minister. And um, I put my hand, it was before the service and I put my hand on my grandma's shoulder and I said, it's okay. He's in a better place. Mm-hmm. And she just kind of took my hand off her shoulder and just, just kind of walked away. And um, it was, it was a challenging moment for me. I, I know what I was trying to do, yeah. but at the same time, I wasn't really being empathetic or understanding of where she was at or um, really helpful uh, by using platitudes. Uh, I imagine that's something you guys ran into a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you, you know, I, I think it all comes down to like, and, and, my wife and I have actually had this discussion before just about this situation, but then just in general about other situations, it's really, people don't know what to say, right? you, you know, and, and, and we, and we can say some dumb stuff and we, we don't know what to say. We, you know, we, we could, um, but we can't, you know, like it's hard to fault people because they're trying to relate, but they don't know how. So they wind up sure. just saying something that seems like ridiculous. And, and I remember there was one situation, I don't know if it tied into this or if it was a, a different thing, but, um, someone had passed away and it was, it was a while ago and, and, um, we were at a table and the person came up to give condolences and he was like, yeah, he's like, I lost a dog once, you know, and it was a family member that had oh. passed away. And like, so, oh, same thing. Yeah, Thanks, exa- Jeff. You know what I'm saying? You may yeah. go now. Enjoy yeah. the meatballs at the buffet. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, so, and, and, and it's, it's like, you know, he's, he's trying to obviously relate, but that's the only degree. Maybe he hadn't lost a family member and that's the only level of grief that he's experienced with, was, was yeah. when, when his dog died. Right. And so to me, it's like, really? You know, like really, 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 you know, but, but to him, maybe that, that was his only way of being able to, to offer his condolences. Yeah. I've learned that in my mind, like when I don't know what to say, I'm just like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And that's about it. You know, when, when yeah. things like that happen, because something stupid yeah. might come out. I've learned yeah. a similar lesson. <clears throat> say nothing. Just be there. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a, yeah. Better for the person involved. <laughs> but yeah, you've had an interesting first kind of, I don't know what to call it. This could be your third chapter. I don't know what chapter you're in, but let's look at your story as a whole. Mm -hmm. And you spent some time as an actor and you got this great, um, kind of interesting story that if you put it kind of satirically and humorously where you, you met your wife at a funeral, which Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But this situation where you, (laughs) where 
as you put it, like God redeemed a situation, which I think, I think you intended to mean like this terrible thing happened, but good came out of it yes. regardlessly. Um, and you might as well focus on that mm-hmm. instead of spending your time focusing on the negatives that mm-hmm. come out of it. And now you're married and you got three boys and you're getting ready to leave your home and mm-hmm. move over to Spain mm-hmm. and start this adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, this podcast is called guys who do stuff. Yeah. And, um, when I asked you first about like, what was the catalyst? You said, I don't know if there was a big one. I was just on the phone and, and my heart connected. Um, but I got to press again. Cause I always think there's a catalyst as okay. to something that, that is causing you because just like kind of the laws of how nature works, right? Like the pain of change has to outweigh the pain of staying the same. Mm -hmm. And it might not be pain, but it might be opportunity. Like what has you excited about taking your family out to Spain? Uh, Really? It's just the opportunity to, to create media for God. You know, um, there's getting to do what you're currently good at and doing and leveraging it for something you're passionate about. You you got it. You got it. And, and, you know, in, in my mind, right. When I was kind of an agnostic, the, the, the idea came like, well, if, if God's there, then that, that changes everything. Right. Dog barking. Yeah. (laughs) That's JPEG. We're going to interview her one episode. It's going to be real short. (laughs) (laughs) Love the name. JPEG. JPEG. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to me what you're describing is you're leaving a career for a calling. Yes. But you still get to do the things that were oh, in the yeah. career. Oh, yeah. So calling is a very Christian word. That yes. It just doesn't get used very often. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I mean, we call each other, but it's on the phone. Mm-hmm. So what do you think the difference is between a career and a calling? Mm-hmm. And is it always changing a job? Ooh, is it always changing a job? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, you know, some people, it, it, it really depends, I think on, on when you're praying through things, what you feel like God's really telling you, um, about it. But, you know, I, I, just in general, um, you know, as a Christian, our, our calling as, as people of, uh, who, who are, who are call themselves Christians are, are, there are to live missionally. And so, um, you know, whether that means at your current job, you're, you're, you know, professing Christ, um, you're being able to share the gospel with people. You're being able to show your faith, show what it means to be a Christian. Um, or if you feel like God's sending you out, which he does too. Right. And so, um, either, either way, I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's a career change. It doesn't mean it's a town change. It means it could be just loving people where you're at either way that, you know, that's, that's the way we should be living. I think the big terminology that Josh and I have been learning through the podcast that we've been coming up is just really understanding why you're doing it. And I'm Mm -hmm. starting to wonder if Mm -hmm. calling isn't about your motives much more than it is. Um, a job. Like I think the motives Mm -hmm. that most people have for career are very typical, noble things, care mm-hmm. for my family, yeah. provide for them, pay for my house, etc. Yeah. Uh, provide the kind of life that I want to lead. And then there's like a step deeper, even if you're not a Christian to this level of understanding why you're doing it, because what mm-hmm. happens is there's a transition in your brain about the approach that you have to your work when you're approaching it from a standpoint of understanding why you're doing it yeah. and then just what you're doing it for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big difference between 
And I think that's probably the closest I've heard to like, I remember that Simon Sinek YouTube talk about mm-hmm. start with why, mm-hmm. like that's the closest thing I've heard to kind of de, de, uh, de mystify, mystify. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the Christianese of the word calling. Cause yeah. when I hear, yeah. I think a lot of people when they hear calling, they think of like Moses, like mm-hmm. yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. burning bush and God like, there's a staff. Oh, no, sure. No, sure. No, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go to Spain. Yeah. Over here. Over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I'm excited for you, man. This well, next thanks. chapter sounds like an adventure. Yeah. You're yeah. going to ride motorcycles around Spain with yeah. your sons and your wife Be and you're going to make media. Produce media. Yeah. 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 It's, it's exciting. It's, it's also, uh, just in this process, it, it, it sounds exciting and it, and undoubtedly it will be at the same time. It's like you're, um, I am experiencing, you know, nervous things, things, uh, things that are stressing me out, things that are stretching me, you know, yeah. in, in which case in, in, in those moments, it's like, all right, is, is my goal to be stressed out here? Like, you know, yeah. and, and, and in the, in those moments, I feel like I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, let's take a moment. Let's, let's pray through this. Let's kind of work through this, um, with the Lord and see, gain his perspective on, on this area, like, and let him kind of let, let me rest in kind of, of the knowledge of who he is. And so, um, so those things haven't necessarily been fun, but at the same time, I feel like it's given me an opportunity, um, to, to grow closer in my relationship with God. So when did you turn in your resignation at your last job? Uh, Technically, it was in October, but I didn't leave until the end of January. Oh, so you tried to yeah, George Costanza it? Yeah, yeah. I'm still here, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Came in, haven't been receiving a paycheck. It, <laughs> it was it was awkward for a while there. You know, I'm kidding. But. So um, as a media producer, what have been some of your weapons of choice? Like uh, what has you excited in your, in your side of, inside of your tool stack on mm-hmm. how you get your, in your, in how you get your work done? What, uh, what are some of the things you would pass along to other media producers or people who are also generating content for mm. people? Pre-production. 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 Mm-hmm. Making under, sure your batteries under, are charged. Under, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but just like um, preparation, mm-hmm. you know, especially, um, especially if you feel like you have not built time into your schedule of being prepared from, from a content standpoint, from a gear standpoint, from a locate, whatever, whatever it is that you're, you're getting ready to, to develop, make the time for pre-production. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like you have a story or two. No ways, ways that that didn't work out for you. No, the opposite. I I think I saw other people, (laughs) you know, and it was just like, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it's happened. And, and when you work at an agency, it's always like, uh, client demands things in, in, you know, a number of categories, they want it cheap, but they want it fast and they want it good. Right. And right. so it's, Choose too. yeah. And it's, it's that, it's that, what is that? A Venn diagram, whatever yeah, it is. I love so, that Venn diagram. Yeah, it's fantastic. If you don't know what we're talking about, we'll put it on the blog post. There's, there's yeah. a Venn diagram about those three things, good, yeah. cheap, and fast. Yeah. Choose. And it says you, you can pick two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They can only overlap yeah. in two places. Yeah. yeah. And so like, you know, just knowing myself, um, and, and how I operate under very tight timelines. If, if the client's calling that calling for that, and we don't have a choice in the matter, like, how do I, how do I dole all the responsibilities of that out? And, you know, when it comes down to it, production is always the shortest aspect of the whole process. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the actual shooting of something is always the shortest. And so the, the amount of pre-production, the amount of post-production take up the most time. You don't want to short on really on any of those, if you can help it. And right. so, um, so, you know, that, that would probably be my, my biggest thing is like mm-hmm. push for pre-production time if you can make it happen, you know? Yeah. So. Hmm. 
Man, it's been great having you here. You're, you're a guy yeah. who does stuff. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's been fantastic yeah. uh, having you guys invite me here. I really, really appreciate it. Really well, we're excited it. for you. When do you leave? Uh, June. June. Yeah. Yep. So it's happening soon. Yeah, I know. Uh, so. <laughs> Summertime. Yeah. And yeah. the flying is easy. Yeah. <laughs> Spain is calling. Oh, he's going to sing the whole song. <laughs> I'm making that keep, up, bro. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> what, what are the other verses? I don't know. Uh, well, hmm. but, well, gosh, guys, put me on the spot here. Why don't you? <laughs> and it makes me think of that old Neil, Neil uh, Young song. What is that one? It says, somewhere on a desert highway, she rides a Harley Davidson, her long blonde hair colliding with the wind. No, wait. <laughs> Does Neil say that? No, yeah. No wait. Colliding with awesome. the steel and chrome, she rides. Beside the, yeah, that yeah. one. That one. I'm, I'm from New Jersey. We'll, we'll do the Bon Jovi version. Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm so I'm so ashamed was, of myself. I don't remember the lyrics to that song. It's so good. It's okay, forgive yourself. It's part Josh. of my DNA. Yeah. Don't know what's happening. Yeah, that's funny. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Guys Who Do Stuff. Want to encourage you to get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a real good answer to the question. What, what are you, you doing, doing today? We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question. What are you doing today? Well, that was... Uh eye-opening and uh, moving interview with Chris Tedeschi. Yeah, there were some moments in there that, um, I mean, genuine, real, make-you-think kind of moments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, dealing with loss, just how to how to be there for somebody that's dealing with loss and not try to fix it, but just be there. Yeah. That's some good advice. Yeah, it was fun kind of chatting about about all the dumb things we've said and learning to just shut up and know when to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting and exciting for the Tedeschi's that they're moving out of a chapter into a new kind of exciting adventure. That's and uh, right. that's kind of embodying like the guys who do stuff, right? I'm taking my family. We're going to Spain. We're going to do a new job. I'm going to ride a motorcycle around. Yeah. It's like an adventure, and man. Having known Chris for a few years and, in a certain light and now sitting beside him in a podcast studio, I really gained even more respect for him and notice, notice the sort of his depths because he's the kind of person that's really um, fun to be around. And also like he, he's a real tactful and follow through type of person in life. And that's uh, he's a good friend and a, and a good guy. We love the Tedeschi's. Yeah. Yeah. Great podcast. And um, just wanted to remind you guys, if you have a question you'd like to, have us ask on the podcast. You can go to guys who do stuff.com and click that big red button there and you can submit your question. It'll just start recording on whatever device you're on yep. and we might play it back on the podcast. And, and if you're colorblind you and you can't see red, just look for the big button. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a medium sized button. Yeah. Medium sized button, but it does say something. What does it say, Joe? It's a button. It says push me. I think it says something like oh, push God. me. It's got to say push me. I don't think it does. Oh yeah. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that.